Hi friends, and welcome to the next episode of the Oakham Church Podcast. We've got to week six in our Lent study series, as we are looking at the famous last words of Jesus, those seven final phrases from Christ upon the cross, and looking at what those meant back then, but also what they can mean for us here and now as we are journeying through Lent in 2021, what those words mean for us. We've seen that words have weight, words are important, words are able to create or to tear down and then increase that even more so when you know that those are the last words that someone is going to say. And as Jesus knows, he is getting closer and closer towards his death. And and these last few of these phrases come very, very close together in the passion story. You can almost feel that intensity building. And so the words, every syllable of every word is, is causing Jesus agony at this point. He's physically having to lift himself up on that cross enough to be able to get breath into his lung, enough to be able to speak these words out. So every syllable of every word is expensive. And so they have got to matter. They have got to mean something. Not just then, but now. You see, the words of Jesus are so important anyway. But these words hold so much more weight, so much more meaning, so much more significance. So let's hear what Jesus has to say. Week six finds us with our penultimate word from the cross. And it is this from John 19 verse 30. It is finished. Now you might think, well, that should be the seventh word, but it isn't actually the final thing that Jesus utters from the cross. But here it is finished, is dealing with all sorts of things. But our focus, particularly as we come to Palm Sunday, is on triumph. Now the way that the world worked in Jesus' culture, in Jesus' day, in the time that the Gospels were written, was this took place within the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire functioned much the same way as many empires have done before them and since them. They needed to rely on physical presence. They needed to rely on brute force. They needed to rely on being bigger and better and faster and stronger than any other nation around in, so that they were able to then move around and conquer different areas. One of the ways that they did this was through Propaganda. Propaganda a lot of the time gets um, this kind of negative connotation where it's um, things that are are done that are lies but are used to try and prop things up. And that is the case a lot of the time with propaganda. But sometimes propaganda is just simply the truth um, exaggerated or the truth told in a particular way to get a certain effect over. One of the things Uh, that worked in the Roman Empire's favour when it came to propaganda was this idea of triumph. Now, we use triumph as a a word to describe something. So someone's had a victory 
or someone has been successful and it was it was seen as a triumph but in the roman world then triumph was an event to hold a triumph to have a triumph to be part of a triumph was to be part of something bigger than yourself you see what would happen was whenever there would be a victory in battle as far as the romans were concerned or whenever they would successfully kind of um have a campaign where they would march out and claim a bit more territory or take another town or another city or even another country usually through force a triumph would be held and the the leader of the roman empire whether it was caesar himself if it was an important event or just the highest up general in the army in that area at that particular time would hold this triumph and simply put the triumph would be just their kind of celebration of the fact that this victory had taken place and so that leader would ride into that particular area on a horse or on a war chariot in their best kind of armor and polished up stuff and you you you've seen it you've seen the the roman empire stuff on tv and things like that so it's all the the gold and the royal red and the robes and the jewelry and the perfectly quaffed hair and all of this stuff and they would come into ride into the town in all this pomp and circumstance not just that they would have lined the streets with people that they had paid to cheer and chant and sing and get all excited because they knew that if there was a crowd of people all causing that kind of a buzz and that kind of a fuss then a crowd attracts a crowd and so the people in that area would flock towards that to want to know what was going on what was happening and they would get swept up in the emotions and swept up in this big celebration of this triumph and before you knew it this whole town that had just been taken over was now celebrating the fact that they had been taken over and so Ian would ride the leader as I said on a a horse or a chariot to the cheers and the exclamations that that Caesar is Lord that Caesar is the son of God they would shout things like hail Caesar and Hosanna even and exclaim that this victory had taken place Another thing that would happen as part of the triumph as well is that the leader would send out messengers uh, on foot or on horseback out from that place in every direction that they could. And their job was to take this news of this victory, take the news of this successful campaign that had just taken place out into the empire to spread this propaganda further to say another town has been taken another city is owned by the roman empire another country has been overcome by rome look how mighty we are look how powerful we are look how successful this empire is And these riders, these messengers would be given the task to spread this evangelion, is the word. And it's where we get evangelism from. They were to evangelise the gospel. And that's the word again. That the, the, The good news of that day was that Rome had taken another bit 
that Rome's empire had grown just that bit more. And so these messengers would be sent out. As the triumph happens, as, as the, the leader of that movement comes into a particular area and there is celebrations and cheers and feasting. And you've seen scenes where um, a sporting team win, I don't know, the football team wins the FA Cup. And when they come back into their, their hometown or their home city and they ride on the open top bus and they hold up the, the cup to, to all the fans that have lined the, the streets either side and there's ticker tape parades and everyone's cheering and shouting and singing and drinking and having a great time. That's the kind of image that you've got there. That triumph is taking place and those messengers are going out to evangelise the gospel about that triumph, about that victory that has taken place. Now, with all that said... Uh, we get to a particular scene that we are going to be remember um, in more detail on Sunday as we get to the Palm Sunday part of the story. And I just want to read you um, this version of it. Um, it's taken from the, the Street Bible. And it says this. Jesus and the team walk the five kilometres, or three miles, from Bethany to Jerusalem. At the halfway point, Bethphage, on Olive Mountain, Jesus delegates the transport issue to two of the team. He says, see that village? Walk in and you'll find a donkey and its baby tied up. Bring both to me. If you get stopped, just say, the boss needs them. There'll be no hassle. All this slots in nicely with clues the old courier Zechariah gave. Put flyers through every door in Jerusalem posters on every free wall tell them look your king's making his entrance but he doesn't hype it up or pose he arrives on a baby donkey the two get to the village and it all fits Jesus' description they bring the donkeys back use their coats for a saddle and jesus gets on he rides up to jerusalem and the crowds are going crazy, chucking their coats and palm leaves on the road in respect and shouting different slogans like free us and liberation now, now, now and God, do your good, Jesus, David's son and there's only one God in heaven, one God in heaven. He arrives at Jerusalem and the whole city is buzzing. Who is this guy? The crowds bypass the grapevine and just keep shouting, It's the courier Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. That's a very well-known story, and as I said, particularly at Palm Sunday, it's one that we will focus on. But you can hear there what's going on, can't you? You can hear that Jesus is taking this very well-known practice of triumph, and he is turning it, he is twisting it, he is subverting it and making it about him. Because here we see now the leader of a new movement riding into the city, Jerusalem, in his own triumph. Done in a way that would be very recognisable to most of the, the Roman Empire and most of the people around, but also in a very unrecognisable way. See, Jesus doesn't come on a war horse. Jesus doesn't come riding this instrument of war like a chariot. Jesus comes in peace, lowly, 
and humble, riding on a donkey. Just like how Mary enters Bethlehem, carrying Jesus within her womb in the Christmas story, lowly and humble and riding on a donkey. Here we have now fully grown Jesus at the end of his life, lowly and humble and riding on a donkey, riding on a sign of peace. You see, Jesus doesn't come with Jesus doesn't come in armour and splendour and in pomp and circumstance. Jesus comes just as he is, in those scraggly robes that he would have worn as being this itinerant homeless Jewish rabbi that's just been wandering around for the last three years. Jesus comes as he is, like that. Jesus comes in peace. And the people celebrate They even echo some of the same things that would have been proclaimed about Caesar. They say Jesus is Lord. They say Jesus is the Son of God. They say Hosanna to God. They say Jesus is David's son, the the real and royal king that we've been waiting for. They're saying what? Jesus is the Messiah. That's what they're proclaiming. And they react in much the same way as this Roman Empire triumph singing and shouting and chanting and waving palm leaves as if they were flags and laying down their cloaks and the palm leaves in front of him to create this kind of royal red carpet to give him respect and honour. But none of those people have been paid off. None of those people are professional um, singers and actors. None of those people are professional triumphers. These are just regular everyday people who are responding to what they are seeing, who are responding to Jesus coming into the city. So that's the triumph. Now in the gospel story, you also see that Jesus subverts this idea of sending out the messengers, sending out this evangelion, this evangelistic message of the gospel, the good news. He even sends out, doesn't he? He sends out the 12 at one point. He also sends out that bigger group, the 72 and another point, out into opposite directions. And what are they doing? They are proclaiming the coming of God's kingdom. They are the messengers. They are that evangelion and they have that gospel. But it's not about a war that is won. It's not about a new leader in the empire. It's not about how many people were slaughtered or what bit of land has been captured for Rome. This time it's about God's kingdom and it's God's message of love and grace and peace and forgiveness and mercy. And it is good news for everyone. So we have triumph being shown in a very different way. So what about these words? It is finished. Because that could almost feel like Jesus is done. He's just saying, that's it. I'm done. My life is over. I give up. There's nothing else to do. It's finished. It is finished. In the Greek, that word is tech. Telestai, I've probably butchered that. My ancient Greek isn't the best, but it simply means done, like tick it off on a checkoff list. But his suffering was not all that was finished that day. You see, when Jesus talked about it being finished, when Jesus talked about it being done, Jesus was also talking about how 
his whole life's work was finished. Jesus was also talking about how Jesus' mission to win redemption for sinners was finished. He was also talking about how all the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew Bible with its prophecies and promises about who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would do, all of those promises were fulfilled in Jesus, in what he did, in how he lived, in who he was. That was all coming to an end. It was all done and finished. Jesus was also in that phrase saying, it is finished, about the Old Testament law, the old way of doing things, the old way of reconciling and and trying to rebuild that relationship between God and humanity. Those old ways of doing things, that covenant was finished and done with and Jesus was ushering in a new covenant. He was saying it was the end of the priesthood and the temple system and the sacrifices. It was all finished. Ultimately, Jesus was saying that the mastery of the devil was finished as well, that sin and death was finished, it was done with. And today, finally, I just want you to know that your hopelessness is finished as well. Your hopelessness and my hopelessness about our own ability to, to triumph over the problems in our lives and to triumph over our own shortcomings and the stresses of this temporary existence that we have on earth, all of that was finished at the cross. See, we share in that triumph. That's why on Sunday we can sing Hosanna. That's why on Sunday we can raise our palms and lay down our cloaks in front of Jesus Christ, our Son of God, our Son of David, our our Christ, our Anointed One, our Messiah, our Saviour, because we can share in the victory as well through faith. So today, friends, may you realise that Even though you may feel like it's hopeless, it's not. Even though you may feel like whatever the thing is that you're going through right now has no end, it's not true. Jesus comes to all of us the way that Jesus came to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Jesus comes humbly. Jesus comes as a servant. Jesus comes with a message of love and grace and peace and mercy and forgiveness. And ultimately, Jesus comes to bring you triumph, grace and peace.